On the 19th of January, the steamer Earl Canning, one of four new steamships destined to increase the number of the NISN company's fleet, arrived at Batavia, and is said to be the finest and largest of that company's vessels. During the voyage out from Liverpool, she had, owing to violent storms, to run into Gibraltar for repair, which delayed her arrival at her destination. Her name is to be changed to that of Lieutenant General Croson. The Brisbane Telegraph, April 28, 1873. Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the story, Unknown Danger, for the Lieutenant General Croson? Here we are. Enjoy! Though the Brisbane Telegraph reported that the ship, which flew the flag of the Netherlands, was going to be placed on the Australian route, that would not prove to be her regular route. Instead, she was placed on a regular route that took her from Achin to Batavia and back. This allowed the 967-ton iron screw steamer to play an active role in carrying both cargo and passengers between the Dutch holdings. The privately owned vessel played an important role in the local governments as well. Not only was she a mail ship, but she also carried government passengers and carried troops between the colonies. It was also on this regular and well-known route that the Lieutenant General Croson would eventually come to grief. On Wednesday, the 21st of June, Captain Fairloop of the Lieutenant General Croson took bearings on the islands at the entrance of Lampung Bay at 6 p.m. The Lieutenant General Croson had departed from Achin and had already called on the port of Padang. Though she had space for more passengers, she was only carrying 13 first-class passengers, 8 second-class passengers, and the third and fourth passengers combined to make 172 additional passengers traveling on the ship. In addition to the passengers, there were 74 members of the crew. After the ship had stopped in Padang, it continued on another regular leg of its journey. Once a month, the intercolonial steamers of the Dutch would stop at the port of Tala Peitong in Sumatra. And it was in this direction that Captain Verloop now turned his ship further along the Sunda Strait, taking the same route that not only his ship, but many other ships following towards the same port. As he entered the bay, Captain Fairloop noticed a strong westward current that made him nervous about staying on the ship's regular course. Erring on the side of caution, Captain Fairloop ordered a course that would take his ship more to the east than normal to correct for the strong current. This, Captain Fairloop calculated, would bring them safely along the west coast of the island of Lagundi. Bearings were taken again at 7 o'clock, and all seemed well still. Indeed, 
It seemed as though they would sail past Lagundi uneventfully, right up until 8 o'clock in the evening, when the ship was suddenly rocked with the force of a collision. The Lieutenant General Croson had struck hard on a rocky reef. Captain Verloop was on the bridge at the time of the collision, the first mate having just left the deck to get his meal, though he rushed back as soon as he felt the blow to the ship. The first mate reached the deck in time to execute the captain's order to turn the helm hard to larboard with the hope that this would dislodge the ship, but the ship was immovable. Hoping a different approach would work, the order was given for the engines to be put to work trying to reverse the ship in the hopes that they would be able to get off of the rocks. But only moments after the collision, the chief engineer reported to Captain Fairloop that such a large amount of water was entering the engine room that it was putting out the fires and making the engines useless. The Lieutenant General Croson was taking on water incredibly quickly. Some of the first and second class passengers made their way to the deck to learn what was happening, but for the most part, the first and second class women remained in the cabin waiting to hear what the plan was for evacuation. On the deck, people reported hearing the sound of water rushing in. An effort was made to launch the boats. The Lieutenant General Croson had been carrying mail, and this was quickly loaded into one of the boats under the command of the first mate, as were the ship's papers and some of the passengers. No one was certain if the boat had been overcrowded, and it had snapped the tackle, or if someone in their panic to leave the sinking ship had cut the rope the boat was hanging from too soon. But the boat fell over, rather, and tipped all of its contents into the sea. In addition to the sound of rushing water, there were now the sounds of people screaming for help in the ocean. They would be soon joined by more. The two remaining boats, each also under the command of the ship's mates, were successfully launched from the ship, and people climbed into them. Once the boats were no longer attached to the ship, they rowed around doing their best to pull people from the water, but there was not enough time or boats to reach everyone, especially since more and more people were ending up in the water, either from falling from the ship or jumping into the water to escape the wreck. As the water rushed into the ship, there came the audible sound of wood and iron breaking and splintering under the weight until the ship could no longer support the rush of water, and the ship broke in half. The bow was still on the rock, but the stern broke off and sank like a stone, taking all those who were on it into the sea. When the ship broke in half, Captain Fairloop was on his way from the cabin where he had told the ladies who were still there to take their places in the gig, the only ship remaining. The gig was already being prepared near the bow of the ship, and Captain Verloop did not want to leave the ladies in the cabin without a chance to escape. As he returned to the forepart of the Lieutenant General Croson, though, Captain Verloop saw the entire mizzenmast fall overboard, and almost immediately afterward saw the stern of the ship break off and sink. Horrified by what he had just witnessed, Captain Fairloop could only hope that the bow would be held in place by the rock she had grounded on, 
but unfortunately this proved to not be the case. With the stern no longer weighing the bow down, the bow tipped forward over the rock, and it too sank into the sea, with all on board. Before he could be dragged down with the sinking bow of the ship, Captain Fairloop jumped into the water and grabbed a hold of a piece of wood, surrounded by other panicked people who filled the water and the pieces of wreckage that were all that remained of his ship. The total destruction of the Lieutenant General Croson had only took 15 minutes. For the next two and a half hours, Captain Fairloop clung to a piece of wood that had broken from his ship, surrounded by a struggling mass of humanity that slowly slipped below the water as they became exhausted or gave up on the idea of a rescue. Finally, one of the boats that had managed to escape from the ship was able to come and pull him out of the water. This same boat managed to rescue the first engineer, but seeing no one else, and finding that their boat was dangerously overcrowded, they turned away from the floating wreckage and tried to reach Sasaran Island. This proved to be an impossible task. The heavy surf crashing onto the island looked as though it was likely to smash their boat into the island, rather than allow them to reach land safely. From here they turned to Pulo Tokal, but they found the surf was just as heavy there. Deciding that their best option was to find an actual harbor, they turned to Tela Beitong, where they arrived at around 6 o'clock on the 22nd. At almost the exact same time as they arrived, the boat that was under the command of the second mate also arrived in the harbor. The second mate had also attempted landings on the islands before making the same decision they had and turning towards the harbor. News of the wreck was transmitted abroad in a chaotic fashion. In spite of telegraph lines, it would not be until the 25th that news would reach Batavia that they did not need to continue to expect Lieutenant General Croson to arrive, that she had been lost. From here, there was even more of a struggle to get the information to Europe due to a cable being damaged between Madras and Penang. The government of Batavia sent a message to the Hague with the news of the wreck, while at the same time, the Lloyds agent in Batavia sent a message to London. The news reached London first, and news of the wreck was announced in Europe by the statement issued by Lloyds in their usual bulletin of ships lost at sea. This telegraph was not correct, though. It stated that only 25 people had been lost in the wreck, and this was widely published. The telegraph from the government of Batavia to Hag was a much more grim statement. The only survivors they knew of were the people who had arrived in the two boats, placing their estimates of who had survived around 25, rather than that being the number who had been lost. Fortunately, this too proved to be incorrect. As soon as the two boats had reached Tela Beitang, small boats were dispatched, as was the government steam cruiser, the Chinrana. There was some hope of finding survivors, 
especially since some of the people on the boats said that they had seen the cutter belonging to the Lieutenant General Croson launched the very last moment from the ship, though Captain Fairloop said that he had not seen it. It was also hoped that, since the sinking ship had been surrounded by islands, at least some people had been able to reach land when the ship had sank. Captain Fairloop traveled on board of the Chinrana, hoping to guide the ship to where the Lieutenant General Croson had gone down. The small boats that headed out to search for survivors fanned out among the islands, while the Chinrana headed straight for the wreck. On reaching the spot that Captain Fairloop identified, the Chinrana found that the rocks that had spelled the end for the steamer had never been identified on the chart. Captain Fairloop could not have had any warning that deviating from his regular course would put himself and the people on board of the ship in such danger. Until the rocks could be added to charts, the spot was marked with a red buoy to warn other captains not to make the same mistake. Meanwhile, in the distance, they could see the small boats pulling people off of the islands. In total, it was found that about half of those who had been on board of the Lieutenant General Croson had survived. There had been a total of 265 people on board, including the crew, and 145 were saved. Most of these people were people who had been able to swim to shore to save themselves. A majority of the first-class passengers were fine, as were the second-class passengers, only 25 members of the crew had escaped, though, and the people in the third and fourth class were the heaviest hit by the wreck. Still, as the news spread, most people could breathe a sigh of relief that so many more people than the reported 25 had managed to reach safety. The NISN company immediately announced that they were providing a large sum of money for the support of the relatives of the people who had been lost in the accident. And the government of Batavia announced that they too had started a support fund that the sympathetic population of Batavia could contribute to. At the same time, a government investigation was launched into the wreck. Since the Lieutenant General Croson had often engaged in government work, and the mail that she had been carrying was lost when the ship went down, the papers announced early on that the investigation was expected to be very thorough. A commission of experts was quickly put to work. In spite of the rock not being a charted hazard, the inquiry did not go well for Captain Verloop, who, in October of 1877, went on trial for the manslaughter of those who had been lost when the Lieutenant General Croson had wrecked. The heavy loss of life caused the public prosecutor to demand the heaviest sentence that he could under the law. Two years of imprisonment and a fine of 300 guilders. The defense, meanwhile, argued that Captain Fairloop should be acquitted entirely. It was nothing more than an unfortunate accident. On the 17th of October, the Court of Justice in Batavia sentenced Captain Fairloop following the suggestion of the public prosecutor, and added that if Captain Fairloop was not able to pay the 300 guilders, 
he should serve an additional forty-five days of imprisonment. They ruled that, in having left the usual course, he was guilty of excessive neglect and impudence, which had cost over a hundred lives. Captain Fairloop appealed the decision, but in February of 1878, the High Court of Justice confirmed the sentence. As the captain who had determined the course that had proven to be disastrous, Captain Fairloop was not able to convince the courts that he should not carry the burden of responsibility. For more information, please see The Straight Times from July 8, 1876, or see our other sources in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.